Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 21 of The Fourth Wall. I'm your host, Griffin Schiller, and this is the show where we break down the fourth wall of the film industry as we get an inside look through our conversations with writers, directors, actors, you name it. This show is, of course, part of the Playlist Podcast Network where you can find the rest of our show catalog. We're talking shows like The Discourse, Be Real, Deep Focus, and a whole lot more. Whatever your fix is. We got you covered over there. This episode of The Fourth Wall is brought to you by Cosmos, the most beloved science series in television history, returned this spring with Cosmos Possible Worlds on National Geographic. The Emmy and Peabody award-winning series is again hosted by Neil deGrasse Tyson, who continues Carl Sagan's legacy of taking viewers on thought-provoking adventures to celebrate the possibilities of humanity in our universe. Through stunning visuals, groundbreaking animation, and eye-popping visuals, the series shows audiences a vision of the future that still awaits us. Cosmos Possible Worlds is for your consideration for outstanding documentary or non-fiction series and all other eligible categories. For more information, visit natgeotv.com slash FYC. I'm really excited to bring you all this interview today because my guest is none other than one of AMC's top showrunners, and that is Jamie O'Brien. Jamie has had her hands in some of AMC's best and most beloved series, ranging from Hell on Wheels, Fear of the Walking Dead, and most notably, Nosferatu. And it just so happens that I'm not only a massive fan of Joe Hill's original novel, Nosferatu, but I quite enjoyed AMC's series adaptation, and with the show going into its second season, there's a lot that I'm looking forward to, and we dive into what viewers can expect in the second season of Nosferatu, and how after getting all of the exposition and explaining and cementing the ground rules in the first season, with season two, they're able to really just like put the pedal to the metal, hit the gas, and get going on these incredible character journeys. For those of you who don't know, again, Nosferatu is based on Joe Hill's New York Times best-selling novel of the same name. It follows Vic McQueen, played brilliantly by Ashley Cummings, a gifted young woman who discovers she has a supernatural ability to find lost things. This ability puts her on a collision course with the evil and immortal succubus or vampire Charlie Manx, played by the always delightful Zachary Quinto and seriously guys uh, Quinto chews scenery like no one else in this show he is just he's just fantastic so along with the rest of the cast all, all the cast is is great in this show but Quinto and Cummings are just rock solid which makes it one of the more enjoyable character dramas to watch and Manx for those of you who don't know he's a supernatural villain he feeds off the souls of children and then deposits whatever is left of them into Christmas land which is a twisted place of Manx's imagination where every day is Christmas and unhappiness is against the law 
Paul. So the whole concept of the show is Vic striving to defeat Manx and uh, rescue the lost children. And so if you're thinking that it kind of reminds you of a twisted Peter Pan you're not wrong, because that's definitely uh, something that I got from watching the show, and I actually brought that up to uh, O'Brien during the conversation, uh, curious as to if it was something on her mind or on the writing team's mind when they were working on this this second season. We also touch on the fact that when they started season one, they didn't know who was going to be playing these characters, and so they already had everything written in a certain way, but... With season two, they're really able to tailor the writing and the showcasing of these characters and and what they're all going through to the actors. And that became a big point of this conversation, talking about like the talents of Ashley Cummings and Zachary Quinto and how the show molded itself around their respective performances. Of course, they're backed up by an incredible supporting cast, but those two anchors are the linchpins of this series. We also covered how, with season one out of the way, they're really able to sink their teeth into the material and into the character drama with season two, and they definitely do that. And, you know, Hill's novel is just one singular book, so there's a lot of creative expansion that has to go on when adapting this material, and we definitely touch on that too. But the biggest takeaway for me is that O'Brien is a true fan of Joe Hill's original novel, and that she's working as hard as she can to ensure that there will be more seasons, to ensure that audiences are getting the most out of this show, and that she does the original source material justice. And listen, after seeing the first season, after seeing about five episodes of the second season, I think her and the rest of the uh, creative team involved with the show have done a really fantastic job. It's just the perfect summer horror series to, to flip on and tune into every Sunday. Or if you want to binge it all at once, you can subscribe to AMC Premiere and you'll get all of the episodes of the season immediately. Enough chit-chat, let's get into this thing. Here is our conversation with Jamie O'Brien. How are you feeling about gearing up for for season two? Are you are you excited and everything? I mean, I imagine you have to be to finally like get this out in front of audiences. Yeah, you know, I mean, truthfully, like to what you're saying, it, it is a it's an awkward time to be um, launching a season and to be promoting yeah. a season, and um, you know, when so much important work is being done uh, by Black Lives Matter and yeah. um, the protests on the streets, uh, you know, yeah. Honestly, like there was a moment where I was talking with Zach Quinto where we were like, do we promote the show? Um, And ultimately, I just thought, you know, we worked really hard on the show. Over 300 people have worked on the show. Um, And so I kind of came to the personal decision that I'm going to promote my show. Um, And, you know, while trying to be respectful, um, but I do want to honor the work and... um, yeah, and I'm proud of the season. Yeah, well, and, and to that point, um, and I know, Mike, you kind of had a question that dealt with this, but I kind of want to jump on that one now. I, I, I feel like you're one of the few shows out there that is really, like, behind the camera and in front of the camera is pushing for diversity. So, in, in a way, it is probably one of the more appropriate shows to be premiering right now, no? I mean, you know, I, I, um, I don't... I hesitate to pat ourselves on the back in that regard. Sure. I um, I think that there's always more work to be done, do, 
to be done and to be doing. Um, you know, I, uh, we are always striving for diversity, both in front of and behind the camera. Um, we can always be doing better. Uh, and, um, yeah, and we're, you know, we've been having some difficult conversations, frankly, uh, both like among the producers at Nosferatu and at AMC about how can we yeah. be better at better allies and how can we be more inclusive. Um, so, yeah. No, <laughs> There's yeah. There's ways to go. There's a ways to go. Yeah, 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 absolutely, and I, I, I totally get that for sure. Um, so, so I guess moving into the season uh, specifically, I believe we both had the chance to only watch the first three or so episodes. Okay. We didn't get the, to the full first five of the, the mm -hmm. season. Um, but so when, when you know, when shoot, when shows are renewed for a second season, um, there's always like a, a conscious effort to improve upon what you guys did before. Um, but it's also at the same time you got to sort of play to the strengths that really, you know that made the show what it was uh, in that first initial season. So, you know, with season one over, uh, when you, you're, you're like regrouping, you're in the writer's room and everything, what were the major talking points, I guess, uh, while you were constructing this, this second season? Um, yeah, sure. You know, it's funny. Um, season one was in many ways, uh, it's I, the show was in season one and remains in season two a character drama. Um, yeah. It had at the heart of it, you know, this blue collar family that Joe Hill kind of drew with such nuance in the novel. Um, and uh, in terms of the supernatural story though, it really was a lot of mystery, right? Um, what we tried to do is kind of connect the supernatural story to the real world story through theme and um, emotion. Um, you know, we, we kind of set this task for ourselves season one that, you know, Vic could never open her bridge just because she felt like going to the mall. Um, yeah. It had to always come from an emotion emotional need uh, in order for her to be able to open it. So we were kind of hopeful that that would tie the two stories together and make the supernatural part of the, um, you know, the kind of character drama for Vic and her coming of age story. Uh, but additionally, she was learning what her powers were. She was learning what she could do and what she couldn't do. She was learning who Charlie Makes is. The audience was learning all these things along with her. Charlie Makes was learning who she was. They were, the characters were a mystery to the audience and a mystery to one another. And so was the world. And yeah. um, the big difference with season two is that that's not the case anymore. There is no mystery. So right out of the gate, Vic knows who Manx is. She knows how to destroy him. She knows what his strengths are. And same for him. He knows what her weaknesses are. And this season, she has an even bigger weakness because, of course, she has a child in season yeah. two um, of, who's of the age that where Manx likes to take kids. So right. um, fundamentally, just with that mystery gone, uh, it just means that the show right off the bat just starts with a lot more gas in the tank. Um, yeah. And there isn't a mystery to unravel. It's more just, you know, they get right into the, the battle, really. Yeah, well, that, that was the thing that I think struck me because I, I think episode one and two are just a phenomenal one-two punch. They are they are perfectly, they, they perfectly complement each other. Uh, and I liked that we saw like, while Vic is a is the hero, we see like her villainous tendencies and and like her demons. And then while Banks is the villain, obviously, we get to see things from his perspective and like he is a true believer in what he's doing. Uh, 
but at the same time, you also kind of threw in uh, his wife's perspective and then his daughter's towards the end. So it's it, everyone feels like a real and grounded person. So you're right, the the supernatural and the horror elements are really just like accents. And I feel like that's you kind of use that even when it comes to uh, the scares, you know. Oh, thank you. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting. I, I, just talking about Max for a second. In season one, um, we hear his story of himself a lot, right? Like he tells everybody, I'm helping kids. I'm taking them from terrible home environments and I'm bringing them mm -hmm. to a place where it's like Christmas every day. Who wouldn't want that? And um, I realized that the audience or a large segment of our audience was buying into that, you know, and, and it, it was kind of um, disconcerting for me. I was like, you know, just because Meg says she's a bad mother doesn't necessarily mean she is a bad mother. That's from yeah, a very yeah. kind of Victorian point of view. Um, and so in season two, we wanted to kind of uh, unpack his point of view on himself a little bit and see how he kind of came to it. Uh, which I do think he comes to it honestly, but I don't think that it is the only point of view on what he's doing. And so I thought it was important to see, um, you know, his first wife, what does she think of Charlie Manx? And uh, does she agree that he's, you know, only uh, looking out for the children, uh, you know, and I, and I think... I think she's got a different point of view and I think that it is just as valid and it actually makes the character richer. Um, you know, and he says that he's up to only good things. And I think Zach Quinto believes that. Um, mm. I don't know that I believe it. And I think that there's an <laughs> argument to be made either way, truthfully. Yeah. Yeah. We were discussing, you know, jumping into the second season, uh, you now know these actors, these performers so well. And we really got the impression that, you know, in the first two episodes, you're really playing to the strengths of these performers. Um, like you mentioned with Zach and his kind of inherent charm, you know, even when he's playing very vicious characters, because I was a fan of Zach ever since Heroes, and Siler was the greatest character in that show, in my opinion. Um, can we expect more of this throughout season two? Yeah, you know, um, that was another thing. We, um, we had written most of season one before we cast that Quinto, you know, okay, uh, yeah. the, the, the show was developed in a mini room process and we had most of the scripts written before anything was cast. Right. And we, though Manx obviously was an important character, the A story, I guess, for lack of a better term for season one for us really was Vic's coming of age. And so Zach is amazing and explosive whenever he's on screen in season one. But at the end of the season, I was like, you know, we have the incredible like movie star, Broadway star, Zach Quinto working, like let's put him to work, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and we, we, did, we tried to, yeah, in the writer's room, we have, uh, you guys have already seen one of our, you know, makes backstory episodes. We have another mm -hmm. one coming up. Um, and yeah, it was very deliberately like, you know, this actor is so amazing and can do anything. Let's, give them some stuff to do. <laughs> yeah, no, for, for sure. Well, and, and, and even with, with Ashley Cummings, you know, I, I mean, obviously not as, you know, well-known in, in bigger circles as, as Zachary Quinto, but she, like, based off of what I've seen her in in the past, it really feels like you're playing to her strengths as well uh, in this season, especially just that, that first episode where it's just so raw and distraught and she's going to a place that, uh, I, I mean, it's, I have to imagine it's, it's, tough for her to be in because I feel like she's in that sort of just like 
you know, distressed mental state and suffering from like trauma the the entire show, you know? Yeah. I mean, Ashley I, is, I, she's phenomenal. Um, one of the things that I think is special about our show is our cast. I think yeah. our entire cast is just fantastic. Um, and Ashley, I mean, she is, she's a warrior. She's, I think she's amazing and um, super intuitive and super talented. And it's funny, you know, to what you're saying, this part of the book was her favorite part of the book. Um, she was really interested in exploring Vic's mental health. Um, and that was kind of the thing that drew her into the project initially. And um, she was really uh, super focused on Vic's state of mind. Um, she was super careful, like uh, questions that she was always asking me, you know, as the season goes on and there's more and more action, she was always concerned with, is my character drive coming through? Is my state of mind coming through? Is the addiction coming through? Is the mental health coming through, um, in the middle of all the run and gun, you know? And, um, and it, I, I kept saying to her, because it's true, absolutely. Um, yeah. And she was really rigorous about it and cared a lot about it. We were also discussing with your second season, and you had kind of touched on this already. You were obviously inspired by Joe Hill's novel. You loved it. You wanted to create a show for it and, and all this. Now you're getting to a point where you have to be almost expanding on what he created, because now you've got it second season under your belt and hopefully more. How do you know as a showrunner and as a creator that you've mirrored that same kind of creative energy and that same vibe uh, that Joe created? Um, well, Joe is uh, a couple things. First of all, I, I came to the material as a fan. I don't think that you can do source material justice if you don't love it. Right. Um, and so I, I truly love it. And, um, and Joe is an executive producer on the show. Um, so he is, he's, you know, he's not with us every day. He's not in the writer's room every day. He's not on set every day, but he is, um, but he's around and, uh, and we feel him all the time. So, uh, he, he's a, a, a huge resource for us. And, um, yeah, so, you know, most of the changes, whatever changes that we've made from the novel really have been um, in trying to service it, if that makes sense, and kind of mm -hmm. translate it to this new medium. And, uh, you know, there are certain things like, I talk about this sometimes, um, in, in the novel, the characters, the main characters don't interact for a lot yeah. longer uh, than they do in the series. And so, like, just functionally you know, to have a TV show, you have to have people in scenes together talking at some point. And so like, we kind of moved them all closer together and sped that part of the novel up a little bit. Um, but I think we tried really hard to stay uh, true to the spirit of the book always. Um, and then also to capture, you know, you guys haven't seen it yet, but there's a really iconic moment in the, in the book that, that we worked really hard to recreate on screen. Yeah, that was that was one of my favorite parts of the first season was when you recreated the uh, the house scene. You know yeah. that because it's because that's that's such a vivid uh, sequence in the book. There's so it's just like whether I'm listening to the audiobook or I'm reading it, it's just like I have a very clear picture of what that is in my mind and how intense and how like terrifying yes. it is. Uh, and I think you guys like totally executed it 
great. Connelly Culpepper was our director in that episode, and she just yeah. killed it. And um, yeah, thank you for saying that. It was one of my favorite parts in the book. Yeah. Um, it's funny, there was an adaptation issue there too, though, because in the book, if you guys, you guys may not remember, Vic lights the fire herself. Right. Um, and it's, it's clear why she does it because she's like trying to create a smoke screen. Um, and Joe is able to explain that in the book, you know, but in the TV show, it's like, she's alone. We were like, this is never going to be clear. And people are going to be like, why is she lighting the house on fire that she's locked into? And it just didn't seem mm. to make any sense. So we kind of, so Charlie had to light the fire in order for it to make character sense in the medium. Um, right. But yeah, Hanalee directed that episode and she just killed it. And the episode that I was just talking about that you haven't seen yet, she also directed. And, that, that was, um, that was going to be my next question was yeah. whether she, she directed that one as well. She did. Um, just by chance, you know, she said to me, oh, okay. uh, she said to me when, when she got the script for, she directed episodes five and six of season two. Um, and she said to me when she got the script, she said, why do I always direct the episode that almost kills Vic? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, just lucky, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, and on top of that, I mean, that has to be just like, because the book is so beloved and because the sequences are so ingrained in people's minds it's like another layer of added pressure where it's like okay not only is this just like one of the most emotionally uh you know moving episodes and is it putting Vic in, da in danger but it's like I have to execute it the way that like so many people have read it uh in their minds and so like when you're adapting a sequence like that do you just kind of have to block out all the noise of like how other people see it and just kind of focus in on like your experience when you first read it yeah, absolutely. I mean, I try to, especially for those kind of iconic moments. Um, and so let, let's talk about the laundry shoot, even though that's last season, just so that I don't kind of give um, spoilers, but it's, sure. uh, but there are more moments like that coming up. Um, it was such a big moment uh, in my mind and my memory of the book. And, uh, and I have no idea how to produce it. <laughs> and, uh, and like I said, there's like, so it, it, it really becomes a collaboration between the writer of the episode, Tom Brady actually wrote both these episodes. Um, and uh, he's a great writer and an executive producer on the show. Um, and the line producer and the production designer and the VFX supervisor, uh, there are a lot of conversations that go into what can we accomplish. And um, yeah, our production team is just so spectacular. I think that we've been able to accomplish a lot. Uh, and then yeah, in terms yeah. of like, you know, what people are expecting from the book. I mean, I just try to stay true to the thing that I loved and then, um, and then stay true to the given circumstances that we've set up. So, because like you make a couple of changes early on, sometimes that, kick, 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 you know, like it, it kind of travels through. Um, and so there, there are little adjustments, but I think it's, once you're into the TV show, it's important to stay true to the given circumstances of the show rather than trying to replicate the novel perfectly, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, for sure. Um, well, I guess kind of going off of that in terms of just like adapting the novel in general, and I, I can't take credit for this because I've, I've read it like in multiple places, but I think it's just so apt. I think that 
the way you kind of approach this story, uh, obviously you mentioned it's, it's drama first and then you sprinkle in the supernatural and the horror elements, but in a way it, it feels like um, like Peter Pan, you know? Uh, and it's it's like uh, Manx is like a twisted Peter, or I guess in some instances he thinks he's Peter, but he's really Hook. And then obviously Vic is, uh, you know, Wendy and stuff like that. And, and the, the journey they're going on of, uh, you know, this sense of belonging, of, of wanting you know, companionship and, and, and such, I, I just think is, it really permeates throughout the show. And especially just like in the first two episodes of this season, for me, I was like, I, this is really where I see this going now. And so is that, was that a conscious sort of thing that you were thinking about when you were making that? Or is that just something that, you, you know, people have just kind of drawn their own conclusions on? You know, um, Yes and no, was it the, the, to answer the question of whether we were thinking of it consciously, the truth is yes and no. Um, we were definitely interested in the parallels between Vic being a parent and Manx being a parent. Um, mm -hmm. We were interested in the parallels in their backstories and exploring those. We were interested in, you know, the kind of like generational trauma that both characters have experienced. And, um, you know, and we were also interested in the question of which, which of either of them is a good parent and how yeah. do you define what a good parent is and which if either of them are going to be able to grow as a parent and to be able to truly step into um, their role as a mother or, or father. And um, it's funny, but I was talking to Joe Hill actually earlier, and he said that, to mirror what you're saying, he said that, you know, one of the questions that he got watching the series, this or watching the season, um, was, is Vic going to be able to actually finally grow up? Um, mm. And is Millie going to be able to, like, what's, where's she going? And, and so there is a, a question in exploring these kinds of other themes about what it is to be a parent and what it is to be a child. I think um, we have stumbled onto this theme of, you know, growing up, how do you do it? Are you, ca yeah. who's capable of it? Um, not everyone is, you know? Right, right. Well, and actually, because I know Mike had one more question and I, I kind of wanted to just piggyback off of that real quick so in your opinion would you say that Manx with all his with all his flaws and everything uh would you say he's a good parent or do you think that he just subconsciously acts in self-interest because I know at the end of episode two you know we start to see that Millie's now viewing him in the light that her mother did yeah I think that those are two different questions. One is, right. is Manx a good parent? And the other is, is he acting purely in self-interest? And I think for me, um, the, to, the answer to the first question is no. Um, because I think that, you know, letting your kids stay up all night and giving them hot chocolate whenever they want to, letting them become demons, um, keeping them trapped in a winter wonderland in your imagination, I, I don't think that those are good parenting things right. to do. Um, whether or not he is motivated by self-interest or whether or not his story, I'm doing good, um, whether or not he believes his own tale, I think is a question that's up for debate. I know that, um, I know that Zach thinks that Zach Quinto believes that he believes his own tale. Um, mm. I think that it's possible to argue either way. Yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. You know, it's funny as a parent, I, I, I have a four-year-old. I just understood that allowing your children to become demons metaphor. Now that it didn't <laughs> even sink in until, okay, that makes sense. That's great. Um, you were very, um, active in social media and thank you for the retweets last season. You really helped our podcast, but you know, now you've got season two a little bit under your belt. Can you finally relax or is it just work, work, work and pushing for the next season? Um, I mean, listen, nothing's ever guaranteed, you know, uh, I, I believe in the show. I love the show. I would love to keep making the show. Um, but I, you know, if the show isn't successful, there will not be a season three of the show. So, um, yeah, we're still, I'm still hopeful. I still, um, would love to do whatever I can to help people find it. Um, and yeah, my fingers are crossed and I'll, I'll do anything I can to get us. <laughs> <laughs> no, we'll for sure. I mean, we'll, yeah, we'll try and help out and get the word out too because we we enjoy talking about it week to week. It's always uh it's always a fun time. But uh, listen, Jamie, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a it's been a real pleasure, and I, I can't wait to just binge the rest of season two. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Thanks guys. Jamie. Thank you for having me on. It's good to see you. Well, there you have it, guys. That was our conversation with Jamie O'Brien. An absolute delight. We honestly, I wish we could have talked to her a little bit longer. We were really getting into the weeds there with some of the stuff that I was, um, you know, fascinated about with the show and like taking it in a different direction in season two. So hopefully we can either have her on this show again or, uh, you know, our Nosferatu after show at some point in time. But the most important thing is, guys, be sure to tune in to Nosferatu if you aren't watching it already. You can actually binge the entirety of Season 1 right now on Hulu, and then you can very easily get caught up with Season 2, which is only one episode into its season thus far. Again, if you want to get the entirety of Season 2 immediately, you can't wait, you can't subscribe to AMC Premiere, but if you don't choose to do that, you will get new episodes every Sunday at 10 p.m. Eastern Time on AMC. I want to thank my good friend Mike for joining me again today. You can find him on YouTube at Real School. Does great analysis and interviews and uh, reviews and all that good stuff. So you can check him out there or on Twitter at Real School. But the most important thing, guys, is we want to hear from you all and we want to know if you're watching Nosferatu. Let us know down in the comment section of wherever you're listening to this show. Be sure, as always, to subscribe to the Playlist Podcast Network for more episodes of the fourth wall and then also the rest of our amazing shows over there we're talking about be real the discourse deep focus a whole bunch of great content over there that's centered around the entertainment industry so whatever your fix is we definitely have you covered but if you want to take that extra step and just make our day it would be amazing if you left us a rating and or a review on apple podcasts spotify google play wherever you can because it greatly helps out the show and it lets us know what you're loving and what you want to see more of I know I teased this last time, but it's coming. It's officially coming next week. Our next guest will be Mr. Dan Stevens. I talked to him a little bit about Eurovision, his new Netflix film, and I chatted to him about his incredible career. It was uh, it was a delightful conversation. He's also starring in Dave Franco's directorial debut, The Rental. We touch on that a little bit. So there's a, there's a great conversation in store for you all coming next week. So you're definitely going to want to subscribe to the feed so you don't miss that 
episode. But lastly, guys, if you like me specifically and you like what I have to say, you can give me a follow on Twitter at Griff Schiller. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of The Fourth Wall, guys, and I will catch you next time. Take care.